Here we are. Um, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Um, Mark chapter 5 was, um, sorry, I'm still walking around. That went a lot quicker than I thought it was going to go. Um, Mark chapter 5 was, is really long. And so it was, not be, it was not able to be printed in the bulletin, um, in the worship guide. So just, just know, sorry about that. You're going to have to use your real Bibles today. Everybody says amen for that. Everybody's got to read their own Bibles. I'm not printing it for you. No more spoon feeding you guys. So if, you get, if you've got your scriptures um, or if you've got your tablet, wherever uh, you're reading the scriptures today, um, make sure that you open it up to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Um, this morning will be about uh, this idea of, of completion. Um, these things that are actually just, just spread to the four winds of the earth and actually are able to come back together, right? The things that look fractured, look like they have, like there's no way that we're going to put these things back together and they actually be made whole again. So wholeness and completeness, right? Order into chaos. Those are the types of themes, themes that we are going to be talking about today. Mark chapter 5 is a very large chapter with lots of things going on. Uh, on Monday afternoons, we come together. There's a sermon prep team, and these are men and women who have come together to, to really kind of hammer out the scriptures and understand the themes and really outline it. And it was important for us as we looked at the entirety of, of chapter 5. It was important for our team to say, we have to, we have to explain the entire chapter now, if you've been around Redstone long enough, you know that I can't preach through three or four or five verses in 30 to 45 minutes. And so the, to tackle an entire chapter, man, I hope you brought a snack. We may be here till lunchtime, all right? So buckle up, buckle up. That's, that's what we're going to try to try, try to tackle. All right, so if you were in band, right, you, you remember band, or if you ever went to an orchestra or a symphony, you remember that there is this, this chatter or there's this clamor right before the concert. And so I want you to think about walking into some kind of like symphony or orchestra hall and listening to the band as they're warming up or as they're tuning. Can you hear it? I like the bass cello is doing his thing, the guy on the timpani. I don't know how you tune a timpani, but he's on the timpani and the triangle guy keeps banging his, the flute is, you know, they're just doing their stuff, but it's just a little bit of a mess because they're doing their own thing, right? Can, can you hear the clamor? Can you hear the kind of what's going on before the moment? But then the conductor kind of steps up with his baton and he tap, 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 right? And then all of a sudden, both the crowd and the instruments go quiet. And with a little tap, 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 the instruments stop. The, the musicians sit up straight. And the participants kind of lean in. And, just the, and so in that moment, that tap, 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 you go from clamor to just some kind of order. From chaos to order, just with a simple like wand kind of baton type thing. And a lot of life. Right? We don't have the ability to see that kind of order or see that kind of completion happen in our lives. But in a unique way, in Mark chapter 5, we're able to see it over and over and over. 
If you're in the medical field, especially if you work in the ER, you're able to see what they call triage. Just this, if you have 5, 10, 15 people come into the ER right at once, what are you going to do? How do you weigh these, these types of, of, of people that come in? And so somehow with the medical professionals and, and the way that they do things, they're able to take a chaotic moment and be able to put them in the right places with the right personnel. And so in the same way as music and, 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 um, and medical, you're able to kind of see some kind of order, some kind of completeness that actually happens. Well, and I was, we were in Nashville um, uh, all this week, so I wasn't able to prepare as much. So yesterday I was just kind of walking around trying to think about ways in order to talk about order and completeness. And I don't know if you guys have an Alexa at home, right? This is a robot that plays music and does all kinds of things. She'll talk to you. She'll remind you, those types of things. So there was just this racket going up, going on in the boys' room, all right? And so Alexa was blaring some like dubstep, something kind of madness, right? I don't know what there's, I mean, it's just loud. So I got to walk up there and the room is a wreck. I mean, McKibben and Oliver, I mean, a wreck, like a tornado. I mean, I think the hurricane went through the boys' room on their way to North Carolina or something. It was an absolute wreck, except for the bottom of Oliver's uh, bed. Underneath Oliver's bed, there were these Legos and they were perfect. And they were lined up and they had perfect spacing. And I was like, ah, some kind of order inside completion. So some of us, we have like the picture of a Lego set, right? Like this is what we want. Is what we want big tires and a green like chassis. Is that a word? Um, we, want, we want, I don't even know what that means, but um, it sounded vehicular. Um, but it, um, it just, it just looks pretty and nice, and some graphic artist has been able to do a good job with it. Um, but um, sometimes our lives aren't that pretty. Instead, our, our, our lives are a little bit, a little more messy than that. Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh-oh. That's, that wasn't supposed to happen. Sometimes our lives look a little bit like, oh, looks, thank you, thank you, Jerry. Looks a little bit like that, right? And so we want our lives to look like this, and yet it's just one big pile of just stuff. In this passage, in Mark chapter 5, you're able to see just, just trash and just a pile of stuff actually just come alive in ways that are so unique and beautiful. Let's read Mark chapter 5 together. It's a long passage. Um, when you preach an entire chapter, um, sometimes you just have to like skip over some of, the, some of the details in order to get the main themes and so here's Mark chapter 5, verse 1 and following. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the, the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the, the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And, but he wrenched the, cha- the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a loud voice, he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you. By God, that you do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come, this was Jesus. For Jesus was saying to this man, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down a steep bank and into the sea and drowned in that sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and to the country. The people came to see what it, was, what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw a demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. When Jesus had crossed again um, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and um, and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell, this is Jairus, Jairus fell down at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had had. And there was no better, uh, and she was no better, but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus Perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said, You are in a crowd pressing around. You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, 
came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house. This is Jairus. Came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing, but overhearing what what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear. Hard comma, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand, said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with, uh, with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God. Very often, you know, all we see is a pile of things. But what if we had faith, right? Do not fear, only believe that little by little, Piece after piece, Jesus, maybe not in this exact immediacy, but Jesus was putting things back together in our lives again. Is that possible? So first and foremost, uh, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about these three people. And we're going to try to hurry. We're going to try to rush. We're going to try, but we're going to try to pause enough to say, Jesus has been doing a great work. We are on the hills. If you look at verse 1, it says, And when they came to the other side of the sea... If you were here last week, you remember that Jesus was in a boat with his disciples and there was a great storm. And what did the storm? The storm was raging and the people were terrified. And Jesus says, peace be still. And so they are now still in the boat, got to the other side of the sea. And Jesus was stepping out of the boat. We're still in the classroom. Jesus is still the teacher. But there's a one great big difference. Instead of circumstances outside of your control, instead of something natural and something that's supernatural or destructive outside, we are beginning to make it very personal. So we're moving from one storm to the next, but one has to do with storms and wind and waves. And the other are people with places and names. It's about to get very, very personal. And what Jesus is about to teach the disciples is that what you saw on the boat in the middle of the sea, you're about to see inside humanity. What you are able to see on a boat in the middle of a storm, you're about to see in the hearts and the lives of humanity, people just like you and me. I didn't come just to, for the fantastical. Just for the amazement, I came for people just like you. 
And so this is, this is the same violent storm, but it's inside here. And so maybe there are storms that you can't understand. Hurricane Michael, and we've seen the devastation. But man, you can understand divorce. And you can understand sickness. And you can understand abandonment. Jesus is saying the storms are real. And the storms are going to continue to come. And there has to be some strong anchor for your soul in what is that. And so we're going to be talking about that. The theme of this chapter is desperation. Did you hear the words beg, adjure, beg, plead over and over and over? Did you see one person after another fall on their face before Jesus? This is desperation. This is absolute desperate and dire situations. And what do you do when left to yourselves and your desperation? You call out for help. This is not just desperate times, but it's this this desperation that is pointed in a direction. And with all three examples, they point their direction toward Jesus himself. This book is still about follow me. Drop your nets and follow me. Leave your father and follow me. Drop your tax booth and follow me. This is still a follow me gospel. And so in your desperation, where are you going to place your faith? I spent some time this week listening to 911 calls. And these are some of just just goosebump kind of moments where you listen to an operator and someone in great hysteria. Sometimes they curse uncontrollably. Sometimes they cry uncontrollably. And sometimes they raise their voice and sometimes they have no voice. But one word that continues to happen, one 911 call after another, is the word please. Please help me. Please send someone quick. Please hurry. When you are in desperate desperation, we are, when you are in desperate, desperate need, in your heart, there has to be a plead of please help. Three things that happen in this, in this chapter, is all three are pivoting toward the person and work of Jesus alone. Jesus alone. And so what we will see in the demonic band is that he has to have, like we have to, um, we have to have a better vision of what our life is like. When the storms of life is going on, we have to understand who we are. This even though it's amazing and we see some remarkable things, this chapter is, is, is not just about Jesus, but this chapter is about our response, our personal response to the storm or to the problem. And so when we listen to the demoniac, when we listen to the demons cry out, what are we going to learn about how we are able to walk through these storms of life? Number first, you've got to have a correct vision of who you are. And that's what we're going to learn from the demoniac is who you really are, how desperate you really are. The second is we're going to look at, we're going to look at Jairus and we're going to look at this woman And we're going to say the things that you are supposed to respond or how you respond inside the storm is that you have to take faith steps 
All right? So what we're going to learn from Jairus and the woman is that faith takes steps. So one, you have to have good eyes. Next is good feet, right? And then lastly, in this moment, this moment crisis where we hear that the little girl has died, Jesus stops and says, do not fear, only believe, is that we have to realize that we have to trust Jesus's timing, right? We have to trust Jesus's timing. And so whether it's the demoniac, right, and understanding who we are, whether it's Jairus and, and, the, and the lady taking steps of faith. Or number three is that we have to trust Jesus' timing. This is how we are able to transverse the storms that are going on in our lives. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. And so uh, we are here uh, in the demoniac and we see all kinds of things. First and foremost, let's talk about the man. Uh, we are, uh, if, uh, this is uh, Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. We will not read it again. But let's just, let's just think real quick. As far as a vision of our life, not a vision for our life, a vision of who we are. The first thing that you need to know is that there is uncleanness everywhere, right? The, this man is despicable. He is an unclean man because he has unclean spirits. He lives, the place that he lives is an unclean place because he lives among the tombs. He's living among unclean people, the Gerasenes and just the Gentiles altogether. Uh, there is an unclean economy, right? And so just this idea of uncleanliness is just, just pervasive in this passage. A vision of your life is do you think too highly of yourself? For this man and for Jesus as he's teaching us, he is using an absolute despicable character to say I can walk into any kind of scenario. This is who we are. This man was a terror to himself and to others. He cut himself. He, he went up to uh, the mountains and he cried aloud uh, and day and night. And so people in the village were not able to sleep because this man was just continued to cry out and well and scream because he was crazy. They couldn't even bury their own loved ones because he lived in the tombs. They used words like chains and shackles and bound these are words of an animal. This is not a human being. And this is what Jesus is using as another classroom to point his, to his disciples. This is a picture of humanity. This is not all cleaned up. This is all not good and nice and pretty. This is who we are. And so for Jesus, walking into this environment, he is saying, you have to have a correct vision of who we are, is that we are wretched that we are completely sinful. And apart from me, you can do nothing. This is human depravity at its very best. And so the demons, the demons begin to talk to Jesus. And the demons are engaging Jesus. This is the third exorcism that we've seen in the book of, of Mark so far. All right, this is the third one. This is the, this is the most glorious. All right, this was, this was the big daddy so far. And it was, it was amazing, amazing. It wasn't just like fantastical, but the fact that he uses the word legion. Legion is not just a numeric number. A legion is just this idea of force, Right? And so the, this was a very Roman word. It usually meant about 5,000. Here we know that the number was 2,000, but it just meant a really large number. But it also meant, it meant occupation and danger. And you better be on guard. And so what is happening to this man? 
being completely bound and thrashed by, you know, these spirits. What Jesus is saying is this is how you should see life, is that you're bound and that you're under oppression. And there's going to be, you're going to need some help. The demonic has, but the demonic has no stand when it comes to Jesus. When Jesus speaks, they scatter. When Jesus commands, they run. And in a broken world full of broken things, we know that the devise of brokenness is at the demise of what these spirits went through. It was wild to see that they went into pigs, but the fact that they ran down a deep, um, deep um, crevasse or whatever it was, uh, just, uh, he fell down an embankment. He fell into the sea and then they drowned. This is who we are without Jesus, okay? And so you have to have a correct vision of your life is that we are, I mean, just, we're just sunk. But the main idea happens in verse 15. What does verse 15 say? It says that they saw him sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Jesus brings completion. Jesus brings wholeness to this man. Um, I shouldn't do this now, but I will because we've been putting so much time and energy into mission, right? And trying to try to mobilize our people. So we're not just mobilizing Elizabethan and a church plant, but we're mobilizing our whole body to understand that we are to be on mission together. And so just in these few verses, there is some kind of missional moment that you need to be aware of. So I'm going to fly through these. There's seven, right? I'd love for you to kind of write, write these down or just kind of make a mental note that there are seven principles of just how to be sent or how to understand mission just in this passage alone. All right, so real quick, number one, and these are in no order. This is just how they got written, uh, they were written down. For, uh, principle number one in verse 17, all right, that most people will ask you to leave. What did the countrymen do, right? As, as much as we love the idea that people are gonna flock to Jesus, there is a reality. There is a reality that there's a lot of people that will say, tell you no and tell you to leave. That's okay. That's a part of mission. Verse 20, it says that the banishment of Jesus, they said, Jesus, you are not allowed in our town anymore. Can you get back on the boat and go back across the, to the other side? So although the banishment of Jesus is true and they have he is out of the region that does not mean that Jesus leaves because the gospel message continues to survive did you catch that Jesus is gone but the message of Jesus the message of Jesus's mercy continues to go forward that's amazing number three is that the very first missionary was a terror to himself and a terror to others, right? If you are an idiot right now, there is hope for you. That's all right, all right? The very first missionary was in much worse shape than you were. But here's the major point, that the very first missionary that was commissioned to the world in the gospel of Mark was a Gentile. Not a religious person, but a Gentile who was bound in chains and cutting himself. Jesus, when his, when his breath breathes on you, when he makes you whole, all things are possible. Verse 19, it says that um, as far as uh, this follow me gospel, this is the first time that we actually see Jesus says, no, you can't follow me. 
You have to go. And so there's a great commission moment here in verse 19. Uh, uh, the fifth one is all the way in uh, verse 1. The verse 1 says that, and they came to the other side of the sea. And this is the idea, is that Jesus would go to the other side of a lake. And so that we, whether you're a middle schooler or a high schooler or a college student or a grown person, that Jesus will go to the other side of the lake for others, for the sake of mission. Are you walking across a street to talk to anyone or across town or across the world for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of proclaiming what the Lord has done? Last, uh, the sixth one is that Jesus will go across the sea, verse 21, for one person. Because verse 21 says, then he gets on into the boat. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, he went across the sea, right? He meets one guy and then he goes back across. Verse 21 says, Jesus will spend all that time, all those resources, go through all of that for one single person. One person really does matter. Impacting one person's life is amazing. And then lastly, how to share, how to proclaim the gospel is simply to go home Tell your friends what the Lord has done and the mercy that he has shown to you and actually proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what you do. You use real words when it comes to others to proclaim Jesus. The second thing is that faith takes steps. Faith actually takes steps forward. They actually, faith in Jesus actually takes little bitty steps toward Jesus. So not just having a vision, a correct vision of who you are, but the fact that the faith in Jesus is actually able to take a step forward. And this is happening in verse 21 through 34, where both Jairus and the woman take steps toward Jesus. So the father, let's talk about Jairus just for a second. He was a powerful man. He was probably a very rich or a wealthy person. He was a very powerful person. Jairus has a sick little girl at home. And what does he do? He leaves the sick little girl. Why you would do that, I don't know. But he actually leaves the sick little girl and leaves his home to walk toward Jesus. He leaves where he should be and he goes where he has to be because if there's going to be anybody that's going to get us out of this predicament, it's going to be Jesus alone. And so faith takes steps. Faith really does. And so this little girl is not just sick. I mean, she's close to dead. And in both stories, both in Jairus and the woman, they take little, timid, strong, whatever it is, but they're taking steps toward Jesus. Can you imagine a ruler of the synagogue a religious person leaving his home and then falling on his face before a carpenter. This is what faith does. Faith is leaving where you should be and going to where you have to be because where you have to be is in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus himself. There was a grand interruption in this story. Jairus was just pleading, like, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. 
This is what Jesus is, the completion moment that she may be put back together. And so Jesus, verse 24, and he went with him. And a great crowd followed Jairus and, and, and Jesus. And the great crowd followed him and thronged around him. They were on their way to see where they were going. Verse 25, there's a major uh, tw- plot twist. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians. Jesus leaves uh, Jairus, right? Or he's walking with Jairus and he runs into an individual. There's an interruption. Jesus meets another person. And in this interruption, we are introduced to a woman who has suffered much. The storms of life are circumstantial. Storms of life really are personal. And when she had heard that Jesus was there, In the same way that Jairus left her home, after suffering much, after hearing that Jesus was there, she took a step toward Jesus and reached out and touched his garment. So we take steps of faith, even if they're timid faith. Even if you have to sneak up behind Jesus and reach out and just touch just the smallest part of him, that is okay. Jesus does not care about the amount of your faith. He wants to know that the object of your faith is always Jesus. So even if you're timid, take a step of faith toward him. He's totally worth it. This woman, if if the daughter was as close to death, we get to see that this woman was in just the worst shape. Having is, 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 the, is, is, the, um, is the kind of the, the present tense, ongoing present tense. So she is, it's true now, but it's just, it's just ongoing. Having suffered much, the scriptures tell us. Having a blood flow, having this, uh, um, having this, this ailment with him. Having exhausted everything, the scriptures saying. Having not improved the scriptures say, having gotten worse, having suffered much, having exhausted it all, having gained nothing. This lady was as in bad a shape as the daughter at home. She had no hope except for the person and work of Jesus. And so the tiny steps of faith was oriented toward Jesus himself. That's why desperation is at the heart of understanding how to get through the storms of our lives. The main idea happens in verse, in verse 29 and 30. Verse 29 says this. I've got it highlighted in my scriptures. I would encourage you just to circle it and know that this is kind of the point of not just the chapter. This potentially is the point of the gospel. This potentially is the point of the kingdom. This is potentially the point of your future. And immediately the flow of blood She's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. Immediately the the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Verse 30, and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out. The point of the gospel is that you get something that you do not deserve at the expense of Jesus. It cost Jesus something to give you everything. 
the ailments of your life, the ailments of sin, the diseases that are just totally wrapping you up. It cost Jesus his life to make all things new. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world. I'm coming to make all things new, Jesus says. But it cost him something for this lady to feel healed. Power left Jesus. And this is the great exchange. We get our stuff cleansed at the expense of Jesus. Purity, purity is never gained. Purity is always given to you. If you believe that in your life you have to obtain purity, that is a lie from Satan himself. Purity rests in the perfect work of Jesus that is bestowed upon you. One step at a time, one purity moment after another. This is what Jesus is doing. But we have to trust Jesus' timing on this. We have to trust Jesus' timing on this. Verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, I need glasses. 35, verse 35. And while he was still speaking, Jesus is, is offering this blessing on the daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. And while he was giving this benediction over the lady, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? We have to trust the timing of Jesus. Jesus' timing is perfect. We were on our way home. We were walking. Jesus, we were, why did you have to stop? Don't you, I mean, yes, I know she was in bad shape. 12 years, I'm sure she was miserable. But my daughter's dead. Like she's, like why did we have to stop, Jesus? Like, did we have to? I mean, couldn't we have just like, come along, lady, we'll talk to you later? I mean, it's not like you needed to ignore her, but I mean, she's my daughter. She's gone. The interruption cost my daughter her life. While he was speaking a benediction and blessing over her, that's when he understood that her, his daughter had died. And Jesus, in stern, we have here in the ESV, it says here, um, but overhearing what they said. In the NIV, it's a little stronger. It says, and ignoring what they said. Jesus says, do not fear, hard comma, only believe. Do not trust the circumstances that is going on. This is a follow me moment. Jairus, look at me. Lock eyes with me. Do not fear. Don't fear. We're going to continue to walk. Don't fear. Only believe. We got to go. We're going to go. But you don't Stop staring at me. Keep going. And the crazy thing is, Jairus does. In a follow me kind of gospel, we are going to trust Jesus when nothing makes sense. In our world, dead means dead. In our world, sickness means sickness. In our world, crazy means crazy. And Jesus, as shattered as our lives are, he promises more. 
The demon says, don't hurt us. The demon-possessed man gets completeness and a right mind. Jairus comes and says, will you touch my daughter? What he gets is resurrection. The woman wants to let her, make her bleeding stop. And instead, she is brought in and out of shame and into public and brought value to her. They all get more than what they were asking for. Why? Because they're following Jesus alone. This is a follow me gospel, but it ain't easy. There's a pile of Legos that look like just a disaster waiting to ha- happen. But piece by piece, there is someone that is putting it all back together to make it look like the box. It ain't here now. It may not be tomorrow. It may not turn out like this in your lifetime. But Jesus says, I am coming to make all things new. This is why we follow Jesus. These are the promises that you cannot keep for yourself because she has exasperated all of her money and all of her energy and it cost her everything and she didn't grow grow better. She grew worse. The things of this world will continue to rob you and lie to you. But Jesus just says, keep on coming. So he touches the little girl, Talitha Komi, little girl, get up. Hey baby, wake up. And so in a wild world that Jesus lives in and promises over us, the death that is inevitable in your life will just be a nap. Will be a Sunday afternoon nap on a fall day when it's raining and turning a little cool outside and the NFL is not much worth anyway, right? But as you fall asleep this afternoon, just know this is what death is. It ain't nothing. It's just a small nap and Jesus will proclaim life. Little girl, arise. This is the power of following after Jesus. The great exchange The fact that it cost Jesus everything to walk in to your sickness and your death and to touch you. The gentle touch of Jesus. And says, little girl, it's time to get up. Jesus is promising all things new to us. And the only way that we can hold on to just the most outstanding picture is to believe that it cost Jesus. Jesus was the perfect lamb of God, perfect in every way, in both motivation and deed and word. He was the fulfillment of the law and he lived perfectly unto the father. He obeyed the father in every command. And yet Jesus had to be smashed. Jesus had to be dismantled. Jesus, broken, spilled out for you so that we could be whole again. This chapter is not about us as much as it is about what Jesus is declaring over us. And that's why we go to the communion meal every single week. We go to this meal because we, promise, we hold on to the promise of what Jesus has said over us rather than what we say about ourselves. Jesus says, don't take your eyes off of me. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, as we walk into this meal, 
There's only one thing that we can do, and that is to focus, to shift our focus from our circumstances so that we can focus on you. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, come and enlighten us on the things that have our attention. Jesus Christ, will you enlighten our hearts and our minds and help us to think of the things that are of this world. The situations that are too impossible, that have robbed us of our energy, our bank accounts. And will you help us to shift our focus from the circumstances that are swirling around us to put our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus this morning. Before we come to the table, do the hard work of confessing your sins before the Lord. The follow me gospel continues to call us up to impossible things, to trust Jesus, to touch Jesus, to walk toward Jesus, even when the circumstances declare otherwise. That we should look at all types of things. Forgive us, Lord, for when we think that we can make ourselves pure and clean without your help. But thank you, Jesus, that you have come to make us whiter than snow. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the scriptures tell us that Jesus started the imagery early. He was about to be crucified. He was about to die. And the imagery is that he took a piece of bread. He broke it. He says, this is my body given for me. Pretty dramatic. He then took a chalice of wine. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus says. But it was poured out for you. Poured out and broken. Adjectives, verbs associated, associated with Jesus. So that we could be clean and fed. This is why we come to the table. And so Redstone, go ahead and stand. Um, we have men around the room and we um, are about to serve the communion meal. And so um, these men have uh, the bread and the juice for you. Uh, but and in this movement and in this kind of approaching the table, sometimes um, the Holy Spirit just starts working in our lives and starts impressing things on us and that we need to come along community to have others help us. And so Mr. Jim and Miss Ka- uh, Karen are in the back and they have volunteered to just to pray for you. And so if you feel heavy or burdened, if you want prayer this morning, just know that, you know, Jim and Miss Karen would love to come alongside. And just to remember, Talitha Kumi, arise. The promises that we are given are given to us by Jesus alone. Um, but these stations are now open. Come and partake in the Lord's Supper and you can take whenever you see fit. Mm-hmm.